Acts chapter 18 is where we're going to be. If you haven't turned there already, I would encourage you to. Um, we're just going to walk through. Uh, sorry, I put my keys up. Walk through Acts 18. I, I say this, it seems like every week now, and I, I pray it's true for you also. But I am really enjoying this journey through the book of Acts. Uh, I pray it's been a blessing to you, those of you who have been with us for any period of time. We've been going through it for a while. I think we've had 34 sermons so far. We average two sermons a chapter, so it'll probably be pretty similar in this regard. So we're going to plan on doing through verse 17 um, this morning. We maybe get a little bit further. It just kind of depends. Acts 18. Before I read, just want to ask you a question. Where do you go for encouragement? In your life, where do you go when you feel beaten down, when you're stressed out, when you need a word? Where do you go? Maybe you go to your spouse if you're married. Maybe you go to a brother or sister. Maybe you go to a friend. What's a time in your life that you have just truly been encouraged beyond what you could ever have come up with on your own. So often we try to do what we can to help ourselves. We think that we can handle the situations that we're in by ourselves. We depend on ourselves. We think we can get through it. We think we can have the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding to to discern what it is we need to do, how we need to do it. But if you're like me in any capacity, you failed miserably. (laughs) You have depended on yourself in certain circumstances and situations, and you've realized, wow, maybe this would have been better if I had asked for help. One of the things that I I coach golf, I I teach golf in certain capacities, usually to, to kids, and one of the things that we encourage in teaching first tee, uh, teaching kids life skills for the game of golf, as it were, is to ask for help. If you don't know what it is you're supposed to do, ask for help. And one of the things that I think we as Christians really ought to consider is whether or not we are trying to find help in the proper places, whether we are recognizing the help that God has given to us, the encouragement that God has for us. And so what are the different ways that we can be encouraged? I think we'll see that in this passage in Acts chapter 18. To lead up to this passage where we've been the last couple chapters, Paul is on his second missionary journey, which is basically ending after our passage today. And he has been beaten up several times. He has been run out of every town that he has been in, basically. He has been beaten. He's been stripped naked. He has been chained to the floor. He has endured countless numbers of his own kinsmen, the Jews and Gentiles, seeking to destroy him in whatever way that they could. To discount what it is that he's teaching. To keep him from continuing to teach. They have physically 
psychologically, spiritually done what they are capable of to tear him down. And once again, we find Paul in a new city. And where does he find the strength that he needs to keep going? Where is he getting this encouragement? I think we'll see this and be encouraged by it ourselves in Acts chapter 18. So I'm going to read all of our passage, verses 1 through 17, and we'll come back and and look through it. Acts 18, starting in verse 1. After this, so after Paul was in Athens, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. So where do you go for encouragement? I mean, seriously, if you're just reading through Acts... You've read chapters 16 and 17, and you get to chapter 18. You have to be thinking, if I were in Paul's shoes, I'm in my however manyth city over the last few months. How can I expect to be treated any different here than I have been previously? And if he's been treated and beaten and driven out of town, how can you just how can he keep going? When you find yourself in a position, how can I keep going? How can I continue to move forward in this life, in this situation that God has called me to? I mean, God's called into this. In Acts chapter 8, years ago, Paul was stopped. And God spoke to him and said, why are you fighting against me? And he sent Paul on a mission. He said, you're going to be, you're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. You're, you are going to do a work and you're going to suffer for it. But I'm calling you to this work. 
I am equipping you for this work. I am telling you firsthand from my own mouth what it is that you're going to do. And I'm telling you through other people as well. Be confident in the calling that I have put Paul on your life. And what does Paul get from that? Heartache and pain and suffering. People who turn away from him, who discount him, who trash him. And he comes yet to another city, to Corinth. Now Corinth is in the south of Greece. That's Achaia, that province. So he had been in Macedonia, which is the northern part of Greece, as it were. And now he's in the southern part of Greece. And Corinth is actually now basically the capital of this area. It is a trade route. So not only for the sea and maritime stuff, because there are two ports, but also because the main road going north and south, connecting north and south Greece, Macedonia and Achaia, comes through Corinth. So both east and west, because of sea traffic, and north and south because of road traffic, this is an important city. This city, Corinth, had a temple to the uh, goddess Aphrodite, if you're not familiar with your Greek gods and goddesses. She was the goddess of love. And so it's said that there were a thousand prostitutes coming out of this temple, around this temple, who lived and encouraged and modeled what it is that Corinth became, just a hotbed of sexual immorality. And being on the port, on a couple ports, Corinth was full of sailors. And we all know how sailors are, as they tell us. I don't know. If you, if you were in the Navy, I apologize. Um, you know, I mean, cursing like a sailor, living like a sailor. I mean, you know, that I'm sure was true a couple thousand years ago for whatever reason. I don't know. I guess it's hard to be out on the sea. I've never been on a cruise. I've never been on a warship. I've never been in the Navy. Um, so I don't know how it is, and I don't know what drives people to become like that. You know, pirates are known for their licentiousness. I, for whatever reason, it's a hard life on the water. But this is what this town has become, a hard place to live. And so Paul's gone through all these villages and all these towns, big and small, and now he finally gets to Corinth, and this is probably like the worst of them all. This is the one who, that is most against the morality that Paul is encouraging and expecting, the truth that he is teaching, they're starting from the complete opposite end of the spectrum. But what he does is he, he goes, as he normally does, to the synagogue at first. But what's important to recognize, even before he goes to the synagogue, he goes to this new city, probably by himself. See, Timothy and Silas are still not with him. He's waiting for them still to join him. And he's by himself, but he finds a couple friends. So where do you find encouragement? Where does Paul find encouragement? Well, a couple of friends. It doesn't tell us that Aquila and Priscilla were already Christians before Paul met them. It doesn't tell us that they were Christians when they were, when they were in Rome. But it is a very likely chance that they were Christians in Rome that they probably started a church there in Rome or were part of the church in Rome, the original church in Rome. 
they might have been one of the particular reasons why some of the Jews were kicked out of Rome. Because of exactly what's happening here in our text, where you have the Jews so against the gospel of Jesus Christ that they take their complaints to the authorities and say, we can't continue having these people who we don't believe espouse some view of who our Messiah is when we don't think that Jesus is the Messiah. And they take their case before the authorities. And it might have been that the emperor got so perturbed and annoyed by the Jews complaining about these new Christians in their midst that the emperor was like, like, y'all just need to shut up and leave. And, and, you know, as the emperor, he has the power to be able to say, get out of here. And so he just said, all y'all, like, I don't care who's right or who's wrong. All y'all just leave. I don't care. I'm tired of dealing with this junk. And so in the providence of God, in his sovereignty, Paul, by himself, in a new town, doesn't know anybody likely. But what God gives to Paul are a couple who love the Lord in all likelihood. A couple who he's able to meet because they do the same thing that he does. They're tent makers. Now, I think this is the only place maybe in the New Testament where we find out what Paul has done and how he talks about in many of his letters how he supported himself, how he had his own trade. Rabbis were expected to have their own trade. So Paul would have been expected to have a way to support himself financially and not just to take from the people he was teaching and leading as he grew up learning to be a rabbi, learning to be a Jewish leader. And so this would have been his trade. And it may not have been like a technical tent maker, or it may have been. It may have been just someone who works with leather. Someone who works with, um, Paul is from Cilicia, a, a region in the Turkey area, as it is modern day. And from his hometown, Cilicia, there was actually um, a certain way of weaving goat's hair as to make it um, some sort of waterproof or some sort of, you know, I don't know, good and legitimate and useful garment or covering or tent. I mean, that's what a tent does, right? Is it keeps out all the stuff that you don't want. So you could also make some sort of clothes out of it. So he probably did that because that's where he's from. He probably specialized in weaving goat's hair into stuff and working with leather. And you have Priscilla and Aquila who are doing the same thing. And so he's able to bond over their trade that they share. And not just that, but over their faith. Sometimes the Lord gives us encouragement in our work. We find other people who work alongside of us and who can encourage us in our faith. And at the least, it's, it's also other Christians. And being fellow Jews, they would have, I'm sure, gone with him. In verse 4, as he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Again, we've seen this, it seems like a hundred times now with Paul. He is constantly going first, if there's a synagogue, to the synagogue and saying, Hey, fellow kinsmen, fellow Jews... The Christ you have been waiting for, his name is Jesus. Believe in him. He's that watchman that we read about in Ezekiel 3, who has been given the words of life 
the words of warning. And he's going to the people and saying, here's the truth. Believe the truth. Jesus is the Son of God in the flesh. He's the Messiah, the Christ we have been waiting for. And how do they respond? Well, they don't respond very well. Like most of the other Jews that Paul is preaching to and persuading and reasoning with in the synagogues. But even even before he gets completely dismissed, before he endures another instance of failure, maybe some of us would see it as, maybe he felt it as that. Another instance of reproof and rebuke, of just a hand to the face and saying, no, thanks. Even before he gets another one of those. Verse 5, another encouragement. Old friends, ministry partners. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So he has more friends. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so it's easy to kind of miss here in verse 5 when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. But what this was would and would have been for Paul was these men who he has spent a lot of time with personally invested himself in, trusted these men as fellow partners in the gospel. When he was all alone and he found this new couple, the Lord strengthened him yet again by bringing old familiar faces to him. And what they likely brought with them was a financial gift from the churches where they had been. In Philippians, in First and Second Thessalonians, we read about how Paul was encouraged by the report that he got from Timothy and Silas and from the financial gift that he was given as he's ministering here in Corinth. In First Thessalonians chapter 3, a letter that Paul likely writes while he's in Corinth, This is, what, this is what he says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So, I mean, Paul is writing this to them and saying, look, I was, I was afraid that I had done all this work and it was going to be for nothing. Like the results were going to prove that I was an absolute and complete utter failure. I was worried about this. I was anxious to know, had the work that I had done at the expense of my own body, Did it mean anything? Was it worth anything? 
And so when Timothy and Silas come to him at Corinth, this is what he says, verse 6 of chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that you may that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. I mean don't you just like the pastoral the the just the friend like i i so deeply care about you people that it would have it would have been maybe an unbearable truth if you had not confirmed your faith if you had not shown that what i had brought to you was was relevant and active among you. If the faith that I had proclaimed was no longer in you, if you had walked away from it, I don't know what I would have done, but, but I don't have to go there because the report I've received is that you are following after Christ, is that you do care, is that you are actively engaged in ministering to one another and ministering to those around you. How you turned to God from idols, how you worship and serve the living God and his son, Jesus Christ. That's what he says in chapter one of 1 Thessalonians. I mean, what an encouragement it was to receive a report of the things you have done in the past to actually know that it has borne fruit in people's lives. Where can we get encouragement? We can get encouragement from just spending time with friends, from having familiar faces, but more than that, when we're able to look back on and see that the work we've done for the Lord in the past has actually meant something, I mean, what an encouragement that can be. And I'm telling you, like, I, I don't know how active you've tried to be in ministry in the past. Some of you may so more than others. And I don't know that maybe you've been a Christian for a long period of time, so there's not a whole lot of past to look back on. But one of the things that I can so easily see as a leader, as a pastor, in Paul's thinking, in his mind, in his heart, from what he writes, that he's thinking to himself, Has any of this been worth it? Like, do the results go to show that what it is that I'm doing has meant anything at all? And he's able to hear and to look back and say, no, th- yes, th- th- this, is, this is exactly what the Lord has meant for my life. And the difficulties and the struggles that I have endured... 
have been worth it. That as I've been faithful to proclaim the word of God, to proclaim the gospel, that he has not allowed it to return completely void. And and one of the other encouragements is, like, with so many of the Jews who have failed to believe in these synagogues that Paul has gone to, and in this town that is so rampant in filth, for the synagogue leader to become a Christian has to be, for Paul, an encouragement. He's encouraged by the things in the past and the reports that he's getting, getting from his friends, the time he's spending with his friends, but then also the work and ministry that he's doing right there in front of his face and knowing that this is not just another synagogue failure. But there are some Jews who are believing. And even if it's a small percentage of those who are going to the synagogue, it's still worth it. That as much as we want to be those watchmen on the wall who are calling out the warning and saying, turn and repent, believe in the Lord Jesus. And as much as people are continuing to walk down the giant pathway to destruction, there are a few who are turning around and listening to what it is that we're saying. And we have to be encouraged by the few, by the little that the Lord gives to us to say, yes, what it is that you're doing is is just exactly what I'm expecting, is just exactly good enough. Walking in my strength and speaking my words and living out the faith that I have given to you so that you can be a blessing to those around you, even if it's half a percent of all the hundreds of people that you are ministering to and that you're proclaiming the gospel to, that half a percent is enough. It's okay. As much as we want to be able to bring all of Abingdon to Christ, we've got to realize the Apostle Paul, who is like a a million times more intelligent and gifted than I will ever be, was a failure to get any majority of any city or any town that he ever went to to come to faith. And this guy knew what he was talking about. This guy wrote half of the New Testament. If anyone had the answers, he did. I mean, it's hard enough for me to answer questions well in a membership class. You know, like, I mean, (laughs) like, I can't, I've got nothing compared to this guy. But yet I can still realize that what the Lord desires and expects from me is not the fruit that I'm able to bring to him, but the faithfulness that I'm able to produce because of the spirit that he gives to me and his word that I can trust. And he doesn't just leave me alone. He he doesn't just leave me his word. He he doesn't just leave me the little bit of fruit that I'm able to see here and there. He gives me friends. He kind of, he gives me enough to keep on going. And I have to be okay with that. I mean, I want want to hear from the Lord. I want a vision. I want some audible voice. I want the Spirit to speak to me in such a way that it's clear that it is actually the Spirit and not just some crazy loon who's out here saying that he hears from God all the time. 
and that he's speaking some spiritual language that nobody can understand or interpret. Like, I, I want to know that what I'm doing is the right thing. I want to know that I'm walking down the right path. I want to know that I'm being faithful in the right way. But I'm also not enduring nearly the level of extent of hardship as what Paul's enduring. And I think some of the reason why Paul gets like this vision that he gets from Christ himself is to say, look, Paul, I've given you some of your friends to come back to you, some new friends, some old friends. I've given you a little bit of fruit in seeing the synagogue ruler come to faith. But I'm also going to I'm also going to appear to you in a vision. Verse 9, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. Now, does he say that no one will attack you? No, because in like two verses, the Jews make a united attack on him. Right? But no one's going to attack you to harm you. At least in this place, in Corinth, you're not going to get beaten. Hey, Paul, look, I mean, you know, you've gone through the, I mean, levels of torture. But at least... All right, you're just going to have to deal with talk and not physical suffering. And, I, and for Paul, at this point, he's got to be like, I'll take it. You know, like, yeah, like, that's, that's a lot better than the other options. And so what does he do? He stays faithful. He's in, certainly, he has to be encouraged by this. Why else would the Lord do this? I think... I think sometimes we need to be able to, to realize that whenever we've lost hope, whenever we question ourselves and whether or not what we're doing is good and right and legitimate, that the Lord has spoken to us. He has given us his word. That we can look at instances like this and say, the Lord doesn't leave his people or forsake them. I mean, it, it, it's more or less. I mean, verse 10, for I am with you. How many times when you read through the Old Testament, do you come across a phrase like that? When God is speaking to his people and saying, don't give up. Like you're about to enter into a really difficult situation. You might physically suffer Shortly, or look, this situation, you, are, you have no capacity to be able to get through that without me. Good luck. Have fun. No, he says, I'm with you. I'm in control of all this stuff. I'm not saying, good riddance, figure it out. I'm with you. Like, do you, do you believe that? Do you believe what the Lord Jesus himself is telling Paul is true still for us today? That he's with us. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God to them. Now, the, the last few verses, I think, are important for us to, to see, to know, especially compared to how our passage started. So the Jews are kicked out of Rome 
And it could be easily seen that this new religion, as it were, these Christians are just a bunch of troublemakers. That there's no legitimacy to their religion, to what it is that they're teaching, what it is that they believe. And this is a really important instance. I think why Luke includes this is not just because he needed to fill some more space. Acts is long enough as it is. He's including this to be able to say, even the Roman governors, the proconsul, the leaders in Corinth, I mean, probably the, th- the third largest city in the entire empire, if we're to believe what all these historians say. There's no reason not to believe them, but... This guy who is governing this town, this city, this area, the decision that he makes would not have just been actively understood for this city. This would have been true then for all the other things. This is like the Supreme Court deciding things that now all the other appellate courts and state courts like need to take heed of. Like they're going to use this in future decisions that they make. How, it is, how is it that we should treat these Christians? And what Gallio does is he says, look, you're saying Jews who are bringing this attack against Paul and this Christian message that it's illegitimate according to Roman law. That this is not a legitimate religion that has been sanctioned by Rome or by the emperor. And that is the reason why you should not listen to it. That is the reason why you should stop it before it continues on. He's saying, look, as far as I'm concerned, Jews, this is a matter between you people. You figure it out. I've got, I've got no problem with this. And I think to some extent, like, we've got to see that this is true. I mean... We were born, Jesus was a Jew. We were born out of, Christians were born out of God's ministry to the Jewish people. We are part of them. We we started with them. It is legitimately a part of what the Jewish people have believed, been taught. Have been, has been revealed to them. And he gives it, by not doing anything negative, he gives it sort of that kind of, not stamp of approval, but hey, there's nothing explicitly wrong with this. And it gives an opportunity for the gospel to continue to be spread all throughout the rest of the story. And I think it's important for Luke to include that because as he's writing to Theophilus and he's saying, here's what's happened to this point in, in, in Christian history. That this new religion, this new belief system, this faith is accepted in the Roman Empire. I mean, of course, until, you know, 12 or 15 years later and Nero just burns everything to the ground as much as he can. But at least for a period of time, for a decade, 
they're able to say, no, this is a legitimate expression of faith. And so how can Paul be encouraged? Well, the Lord is at work even in the midst of the government. One of the things I, I like most and would encourage you to do um, at some point this week or, or in the near future is this instance in, in Acts chapter 18 in these verses are so much the center of what Paul writes in his letters. As I mentioned, I, I think he wrote First and Second Thessalonians while he's in Corinth in this year and a half, two year period. He's explicitly saying, Timothy has just come from you. I've gotten a report from him. So much of what Paul writes in Philippians, in Thessalonians, in so many of his letters comes back to like these few verses right here. If we want to get a picture of the midst of what Paul is dealing with, where his mind and heart are at, we find it here. And when we couple that with his letters, we see so much of his heart for these people. And he's able to do that because God has shown him mercy. In the midst of all this encouragement that Paul has been given through the government, through the fruit that he's been able to see, through the consolation of Christ, the vision, his, the word that he has been given, through his friends, old and new. In the midst of all this, the true comfort that he has, no matter if it, all these things are not the case is the grace that he has found in Jesus Christ. In the midst of it all, his Savior, who has saved him from his own senselessness, from his own pride, from his own arrogance, from doing what he thought was right, speaking the truth to him in love. Christ has done that for Paul, and he's done that for you and for me. If there's any consolation that we have, if there's any encouragement that we can have, it's that Jesus Christ has died for you. And that he's died for me, and that he has shown you the grace and mercy that is his character, that is the character of God. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. He's gracious and merciful. This is the God who has proven himself to Paul. This is the God who has proven himself to you and to me. Are you living in accordance with that truth? Have you believed it? Have you committed yourself to saying, this is my Lord and Savior? This is a God worth living and dying for. And are you living for him?
Where do you go for encouragement? One of the things that, as a church, we want to be constantly talking about is our responsibility to build each other up in community. I mean, the the three words that are underneath the logo that we're talking about all the time, we proclaim the gospel, we build each other up in community, and we send each other out on mission. How do we build each other up in community? We proclaim the gospel. We say Christ is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he has shown that to you through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, through his exaltation at the right hand of God. And so can we be a people who do that? Who point each other to Christ, who encourage one another in our faith. We want to be a people who encourage, who build each other up. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this example. Help us to be a people. We can't do this on our own. We can't do it in our own strength for our own selves or for what you have given us to, to give to others and the ways that you have called us to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, to build each other up. We can't do it in our own strength. We need your wisdom. We need your strength. We need your grace and mercy to flow through us. So, Lord, we pray that you would give that to us. That we would not spend it all on ourselves. But that we would be a people who encourage and strengthen one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.